Ruth, how are you doing, mate? Oh, very good today, thank you. You had a good week, yeah? Well, I did, until the fridge stopped working. And then my locks on the Yale lock on the front door stopped working. And it all stopped working today. And it feels like my knees gave way. And I don't know, everything's stopping working, Bill. Is it part of our but life? Luckily, mate? I've got Steve next door, who's a plumber. Yeah. He knows everything, apart from my knees. He just sorted everything out. Yeah. So uh, you've got, you're okay now? I'm okay now. And your knee? It's just a bit wobbly, but I'm okay. Age, it's an age it thing. It is, mate, unfortunately. Yeah. Just one of yeah. life. How things. are you? I'm really good. Good really day? Good. I've had a fantastic week, actually. Good. I've been listening to... I'm trying to improve myself as a person. Oh, yes, about time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but no, I've been listening to all different types of music. So I've been listening to... Um, orchestral music, mm. yeah, love a bit of Beethoven, a bit of Mozart. Listen to some jazz, not sure about jazz. Mm -hmm. The best bit um, I'm really into at the moment is Gregorian monk music. You try saying that on a Thursday night. I know, yes. I would have loved to have done that. Really? Yeah, yeah, but I never got the chance. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bill and Roop's Fairly, Fairly Accurate, Accurate Podcast. And um, our guest this week is uh, George Deans. Uh, George has raised thousands and thousands of pounds for charity. He, we are talking a lot of money. He's had a fascinating life, haven't you, George? Well, I think so. I'm yeah, not 100% sure. <laughs> including, including being an Augustinian monk, which is... Did you did say the, that right? The chant now. Um, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Mr. George Deans. Yay! Welcome. How you doing, George? I'm okay, thanks. Very yeah, much. happy to be here. Thanks for having me here. To be fair, uh, it is um, an honour to get you in the room, and it really is a genuine honour. Let's wait and see how it goes. First. Yeah, but did well. The most important thing, which I really want to know, is um, how was the lasagna, Louis Major? It was as good as the last one, Bill, to be that, fair. He, he does <laughs> like a bit of lasagna, don't you, George? Um, no. it's, um, you, and because you two, Roop, George, meet p people for the first time. First time. It's lovely to meet you, George. Thanks, yeah, Roop. it's Thank uh, you very much. two very special people. And it's it's wonderful because, like, you're, I've known you a long, long, long time, time, George. Yeah. Long, long time. And you're just one of life's lovely people. Roop, I've known you a long time and uh, you're also... One of life's lovely people. And we've known him a long time, haven't we, George? We've known him too long, long to be yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Far too long. I'm going to edit that bit <laughs> out. <laughs> but our podcast, George, um, which I said, is about passion. And it's about making people who make a difference. People who do things in life. It's not a biography. It's about people who have got this certain something, who have got this energy about them. And you are one of those people. But what we could have done is had a podcast about you and talking about Celtic Football Club. Oh, oh, my passion. One of my passions. I know nothing about <laughs> football. No, no you're, Celtic. You're a secret I am a secret, lover. yeah. I do know yeah, bits and pieces. We'll find but... out in a minute. Okay. We'll find out in a minute. Because, mm -hmm. um, you, George, you started going... he's not a Rangers supporter. Well, I wouldn't like to say. <laughs> but you, you started going to Celtic very young age, didn't you? Yeah, about five, six years old. My first wow. games at Celtic Park and Hamden Park in Glasgow. Yeah. Didn't you um, get lost? Yeah. My father took myself and my older brother to Hamden. In them days, there was a big east terrace and the toilets were basic, to say the least. <laughs> and everybody went in one door and came out another door and there was <laughs> wee everywhere. Oh, no. So I came out and at half time... The place is packed. So I've come out and I've lost my father. Oh. And I'm seven years old, eight years old maybe, and I'm crying my eyes out. I'm walking up and down this thing. And then this Bobby, a Glasgow policeman, sees me, picks me up, puts me on his shoulders and walks me up and down this thing until my dad shouts out, Jordy, I'm here. Oh, my oh, goodness. And... Uh, but what we didn't see was we didn't see Celtic's winning goal because my dad was looking for me underneath the stairs. Oh, but that went down well. Oh, it didn't go down too well, to be yeah. fair. And, and but, it, those days, so thousands and thousands. 125,000 at that game. At that one game? And that Celtic Dunfermline, it was Jock Steen's first, it was Celtic's first trophy in a great number of years, to wow. be fair. 
Oh, my goodness me. But it was a bit scary being a seven, eight-year-old boy at the time. Yeah, I bet, fair. I bet. Did, did your dad take you to a lot of games? Oh, yeah. What was it? We used to go through in my Uncle Peter's car sometimes, and uh, there was one funny story where we'd gone through and we used to have cans of beer in the car. Well, they would have cans of beer, and they would open them, McEwen's Export, and you always mm. got the froth. Off the top of it. You always got the froth <laughs> off the top yeah. of it. And you would have as much pop, lemonade and crisps as you liked. It was mm. fantastic, these out sort of thing. And did know? they have meat pies in oh, those days? Meat pies and bovril, yeah. That yeah. Was, they, were, they were good old yeah. times. And a meat bite. Tell us that you told us a story years ago about meat buyers. Yeah, well, there was this story about this guy who finds himself in the wrong end of a football ground with his colours on. And for, this, for argument's sake, we'll say Celtic and Rangers this time. So what was it? He finds himself. So he's standing there with his colours, his scarf, his bubble hat, and his everything, and he's surrounded by the opposition. So one of the opposition supporters would say to him, "You go and get me a bovril and a pie." So he would be walking off. He says, "Leave your shoe. <laughs> Leave your shoe." So he had to take his shoe off, and he'd go down and he'd hobble up the stairs and come back with the bovrils and the pies, and he. So you put your shoe on and you look in the shoe and there'd be a big jobby <laughs> of shit, as they say no. nowadays, in his shoe. No. And the guy would go, put it on. <gasps> so you put the shoe on and it was squelch and oh, it was no, stink no. something, you know. And so halfway through the second half, the same story was repeated. He'd leave his shoe, he'd go and get some more bovril and pies, come back, more shit in his shoe. And so he's walking home after the game and he's approached by this camera crew. And he's asked, he says, do you think there'll ever be an end to this bigotry and sectarianism in football between these two clubs? And the guy turns around and he says, he says, as long as they're shitting in our shoes and we're pissing in their bovril, he says, it's never going to end. It's never going to end. And that was that, that was uh, one of the yeah. stories that was... I don't know, which is worse. Brilliant. Was you posh? Did you live in... Dundee you lived, yeah? Dundee, Dundee? originally, yeah. Yeah, and, and was that posh? Did uh, you no, have... we were very poor, very, very poor sort of family. What was it? My mum and dad worked all their lives. My dad worked mainly in the foundry. My mother worked as a domiciliary in, in hospitals and the, everything else. And... Uh, they were. My dad would come home on a Friday night with his wage packet, and he would put the money for the provident man, the McGill's man, the rent money, and the housekeeping money. These were all things that we used. To, everything was on tick mm. for the school uniforms and stuff and everything else. And then he would go off to the pub, and my mum would go off to bingo. And Friday nights was always a big thing in our house. We had chippy teas. Chippy teas was lovely. We'd be four kids, and we just devoured. Everything, yeah, everything, sort of thing. So, you were saying that's when pubs shot about half past nine at night, sort of thing. You know, pubs shot about half past nine. So you'd always hear my dad coming down the road. He'd be singing the Wild Colonial Boy or the Minstrel Boy to the War Has Gone, and we would we'd be sad. And one night he comes in on Friday, and bearing in mind we've already had the chippy tea, he comes in with more chips, more sausages, <laughs> more fish cakes. We were like piranhas around it. We just dived into it. Whoop, had the loads on. And he's still sitting in his chair, still singing his songs and stuff. He was never an angry drunk. He was always a very right happy sort of drunk sort of thing, you know. And what well, he was sitting there. And so 15, 20 minutes after we've devoured the second lot of chips, my mum comes in. And she's had a little one at the bingo. Uh, she's brought more bloody chips, more fish cakes, more sausages in. And she puts them all down on the table. We just sat and looked at them. And she says, what's the matter with you? Not one of them. She says, well, Dad brought some. Dad brought some in. And she shouted at him, Wooly. That was W-U-L-L-I-E for William. What have you been doing? And he's still sitting singing his minstrel boys. And my mother says, oh, you sickened me. And she picked up this little, we used to have this little whisk clocks on the mantelpiece. And she threw it at him and it bounced off his head and into the curtains of the window. And she stormed off to bed. And he's sitting there going, and he's picked up the clock and he's winding it. And he says, your mother just threw this clock at me. <laughs> <laughs> she just threw this clock at me. And then he put it up back, set it right, put it back on the mantelpiece and went back to singing his song. <laughs> Uh, just to prove you're a proper fan, yeah. all right. Now you're a you're a bit of a 
Yeah, I know. You, bits you enjoy of bit. football. Yeah, it, I'm a Swindon Town fan, really. But yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. But it's yeah. a bit of a quiz. Okay. Okay. Bit of a quiz. Yeah. Bit right. of a quiz. George, you're going to. So win. am I included in the quiz? Yeah, yeah, I want you to be included. He in never okay. told me about the quiz. I did not know. No, well, I didn't know until. Okay. So, yeah. So there's only a few questions, right? Let's see who's winning, right? So, who was Celtic's first ever? Oh, Willie Malley. Oh, is that right? Willie Malley? Willie Malley, I'm very clear. He's correct. Is that right? Yeah. How did you know that? I don't know. It was just an, it was a, I don't know. Yeah, fantastic. There's a famous song. Willie Malley was his name. He brought some great names to the game. Oh, that's probably what I remember. Yeah, it was yeah. a great Celtic you, song. Didn't you write that song? You wrote a song. I wrote a song about Tommy Burns. He was my, he was my that football. That was a good song. He, he was my football hero. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I recorded he, that. He was my football. A long time yeah, you ago. helped me record that. Yeah. yeah. Um, question two. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so one nil. To I know. I can't believe this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which manager joined Celtic from Leicester? Oh, Martin O'Neill. <laughs> Let's start Leicester City. He's not giving me a bloody chance here, is he? Oh, sorry, that's Leicester City. Well, he's not giving me a chance. <laughs> this is... You're not very good at this, yeah. George. What's going on? Oh, I knew the answer. You just jumped in. Two, oh, no. <laughs> Go away for the question. Go away sorry, to... so, sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> sorry about that, Bill. I think I've been set up here, to be fair. Wait, okay, sure. okay, question no. three. What year? 1967. Oh, well done, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a set-up at all, Bill, is it? Yeah, that's so funny. Oh, the look. Can we video this? Because there's a look so that funny. George is giving yeah, you. Yeah, well, 3-0, George. I yeah, thought you... Yeah. I thought I knew. I, obviously, <laughs> obviously, I'm not as well up on Celtic history as well. We should do that to all, I guess. <laughs> we're well, really annoyed him there. He's annoyed now. So we've annoyed the guest. Yeah. My favourite manager uh, was Kenny Dalglish for Celtic. Kenny Dalglish was never manager of Celtic, Bill. Oh. Kenny Dalglish was never manager of Celtic. Oh. He was interim manager after John Barnes got the sack, after Celtic got beat from a team called Inverness, Caledonia, and Thistle. That, no, they yeah, got beat that wouldn't have gone down well. Uh, okay. And what was it? The headlines in the Scottish newspapers the next day were Super Cali Go Ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. <laughs> That's fantastic. And that was the headlines and all the that's Scottish a hell, That's a hell of a... Yeah. When you go to Scotland, I mean, I've got some friends up in Oban that go to see and we just watch the football yeah. on a Sunday. And I can't believe the passion because, because really, there's only two teams in it. Yeah, but the, did you know, Rupe, there's more people per head of population watch football in Scotland than they do in England. Is that right? That, if you oh, were to I take a proportional that. representation of really? the people who watch football in England and people who watch football in Scotland, there'd be a higher percentage watch football in Scotland than what there is in England. Your, your dad passed away when you were quite young. 14, 15. That Big was, impact, that, yeah? Huge. I, I can't even begin to notice it. Sort of thing. It's, it's still quite... Raw, still quite hard to talk about, uh, because we were close, myself and my dad. And what was it? Because I had a paper round or a, a milk round or something, and we always used to get up at the same time. We'd always have a cup of tea in the morning, and then we'd walk up the road together, me to the paper shop, him to get his paper to go off to work. And on the day he died, Scotland were playing, we're going to play Wales in a five nations because it was only five nations or four nations. I'm not even sure it was five nations. Mm. Uh, Scotland were playing Wales and we were going to sort of watch the game in the afternoon so he gets his paper I get me bag of papers and we're walking up this hill together and we got to the top of the hill he went one way the other way and he just he said I'll see you later skip and he just went like that ruffled my head just ruffled my head and off he went and that, and what was it he came well I'll never forget the day how we because he was late but the, the rugby had started and he hadn't come home he usually finished work at 12 and at that time it was half past one two o'clock and there was no sign of him and then I just remember, we lived in a tenement three floors high. And I was looking out the window and my, I saw my, my mum worked in the hospital. She never usually finished work on a Saturday to half past. And I seen her walking around the corner with my uncle George, my dad's brother. And I said, what are they doing home early sort of thing? You know, nothing ever. And I never forget the day they came in and they got the four kids. And we were all pretty young. I was about 14. Michael would have been about 16. Margaret being about 11, 12. David was probably about nine. 
and we was saying, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? Say, and what was it? And uh, my mum told me that yeah, there's been an accident and your father dropped down dead at work. And it was uh, it was a bit tough, sort of thing. I, I remember yeah. lots of screaming and I remember lots of sort of tears and everything else. And Michael didn't take it too well, to be fair. Michael didn't sort of show expressions of grief very much. And he disappeared. He went to work the following week. And we never seen him for a while, to be fair, sort of thing, you know. And then he never came to the funeral. Yeah. And so the thing about it was I was left, as I was the eldest son, what was I had to sort of be at the head of the coffin. Mm-hmm. And it was my first ever funeral. A funeral. And mm-hmm. you know, when the funeral now, what they put these planks across the grave and you're all given the cord to hold, sort of thing. And then you. But nobody told me to unravel the cord. Nobody Let told it me. down slowly. Like, yeah. So when they took the planks away the head, but I was standing and just plummet. And I still have dreams and nightmares about falling and dropping something wow. about it, sort of thing, you know. And it's it was and hard. The, the coffin fell? The coffin went straight down the head. Went straight, <gasps> wow. I, I well, how just, you must have felt? I, I was just... I mean, you no kid, how are you supposed no to know these things? Just yeah. absolutely horrendous sort of thing, you know. And but, and my mum, she was amazing because she had four young kids, had to sort of bring us all up on her own sort of thing. You know? Because my, we didn't have a lot of pensions and stuff like mm-hmm. the, that people have nowadays. We, we, the, the, the place where my dad worked, he got, he got some money, but it wasn't enough to sort of... All that went on shoes and clothes for them and stuff and everything else. And... Uh, but she did a marvellous job with this sort of thing, you mm. know. What was it? Worked all the hours that God gave her. A little adage to, to the to the story was about five, six, seven years ago. I was uh, I was playing golf up at Rag Barn with the King's Arms Golf Society, and we'd had a great round of golf, and we were playing in fours. And there was three guys. The other two guys I knew. I didn't know the fourth guy from Adam. He was a guy called Mark from Gloucester, sort of thing. Never seen him before. Never met him before in my life, sort of thing, you know. So everything was going fine and well. And we were uh, on the 10th and the two guys have hit the ball down the fairway to the left and they're in the trees. So they go looking for the ball. Me and this guy mark it straight down the middle, roughly. So we're standing, we're standing waiting on them finding their balls. And they're sitting there sort of and talking away, just general conversation. Then he comes up, this guy comes up to me and says, your father says you're doing great. Wow. Wow. And I turned around and I said, I thought I'd misheard him. Yeah. And I says, I beg your pardon. He says, your father says you're doing fine. And I said to him, I says, you didn't know my father. I says, you've never, you, you, I says, I, I've, I've never met you before in my life. So don't you start telling me. And I gave mm. this guy. So you were quite angry. I was furious, yeah. sort of thing, you know. And my golf game went to shit as well after that sort of thing, okay. you know. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. So, and I, I, I said, I'd rather we just played the golf and you fucking don't talk to me sort of thing I'm sorry for my language but what was uh, I was so angry and so he never said anything else and we were down three or four holes later and there was a call up hole a call up hole which means that you have to wait till the other people clear the green so there's a bench and you sit on the bench and you sort of so I was sitting on my own the two other guys were over there and this guy was fucking hovering and I'm going, if he comes fucking near me, I'm going to lump him, sort of thing, you know? <laughs> and then he, he come across, this is the God's honest truth, guys, what was it? And if you remember what I said, he came across, rubbed my head like that and said, see you later, Skip. Wow. Well, I just sort of wow. fucking... I, 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 nobody had ever called me Skip in my life. I wasn't, even my friends, my mates, everything else, my dad was the only person who called me Skip. My dad was the only person who ever called me Skip. And he was the only guy who used to do that to my... And it was like... Felt Ruffle deal, he's... Feared, that, yeah. When he did it, it just felt... Wow. It just felt really eerie. Mm-hmm. Call it what you like sort mm-hmm. of thing, you know? And I was in bits. I, <laughs> I was absolutely in bits. Did you speak to him about it? Then, what was it? We carried on. And 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 he said... And he apolog- And I, I said, oh, no, no, I, I should be the one apologising sort yeah. of thing, you know? Because I realised there's no way he could have... Anybody could have known that. There's no, there's, I, I, I doubt it. Maybe. So anyway, we were sitting after we have, a, you always have a meal after the golf, and I was out on the balcony at the Rag Barn up near Swindon, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I went across to him. I says, "Look, I'm really sorry about what." Uh, all them. He says, "No, no, please, George." He says, "My fault, sort of thing, you know." And I asked him 
straight up. I says, I says, how do you know this? Has this happened before? And he said to me, he says, it happened with close friends and family, he says, but never with complete strangers. It's amazing. And, he, I, he, I, and I said, but what, he said, I don't know. He said, he said if, if I could explain it to you, I would. And he said, but I don't know, he said. And he says, and I said, Robin, I said, I've never done that to my own children. Is it ruffling amazing. your hair? He ruffled, yeah. ruffled the hair. The amazing. same way my dad ruffled my hair yeah. at the top of the hill before he went off. And he was dead two or three hours later. Amazing. Sort of and it was just... So, so my sister, Margaret, God love her, she, she believes in... She goes to seances and stuff and everything else and she spends some money doing this and doing that sort of thing, you know? And when I phoned her that evening and told her, she didn't bat an mm -hmm. eyelid. She, she made it quite a funny remark. She says, I pay hundreds of pounds for it. You get it for fuck all on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Because what we haven't talked about is you becoming a monk. No. Uh, and you joined the Augustinian, Augustinian order. So just tell us how you got into that. You, 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 why? I mean, was you mega religious as a kid? or well, to, How did it work? Be, at that time, I wasn't going to church at all. Okay. We were just not going to church at all. I, I had no interest in religion, God, or anything. Ran around with a load of guys, and one of these guys, Ronnie, was an absolute fucking nutcase. <laughs> he would be in trouble fighting, getting arrested and everything sort of thing. You know, he was a complete waste of space sort of thing. But a lovable <laughs> waste of space. And then all of a sudden, one Saturday night, he got, we were out in town and he got caught by the police mm. and took to court, Sheriff Court in Dundee, he was there and sort of down there. And he got uh, X amount of hours community service and that involved him going to work with disabled people in a, in a home and stuff and everything else. And, uh, Cutting a very long story. He did it for about three to six months, to be fair. And it was all finishing. It was all finishing. And I said, oh, you're finished. All that crap finishes next week. You can come back with us. Sort of thing. And one, of, one of the things he did was he took this little guy in a wheelchair to church with this girl. Mm. And him and this girl had become pretty close, sort of thing, you know. And he, So he met, the, the day he didn't have to go to do the community service, we all met in the, the round tree in Dundee. And we're all like, let's go into town. And I've got, I've got to take this guy to church tomorrow. And we went, fuck off. We're going to go to church. We're going into town. He said, no, no, I, I, I feel I've let him down if he doesn't. Sort of. So this complete waste of space had changed his, absolutely turned his life on its head. Become a, a complete, you talk about, the, the, in the Bible, we talk about the road to Damascus experience. This was one of them because Ronnie had changed from this absolute Yahoo into this, got engaged to this girl, wow. everything. He was just changed. And I got on the bus in the town one day coming home and he got on somewhere else and he was sitting chatting. And I said to him, where does all this bloody religious stuff and stuff? Why don't you come out with the boys anymore, sort of thing, you know? And he tried to explain it to me and he, he could. And I said, oh, Ronnie, I says, what was it? I said, we miss you, I said, but never mind, sort of thing, you know? And he was going down the stairs on the number 28 bus. And just before he, he stuck his head above the parapet, and he says to me, he says, you never know when your number's up, Jordy. And down the stairs he went and off, off the bus. So about, I think it was about a week, two weeks later. Remember, we lived in the tenement. There was three flats, six flats in it, one, two. And my cousin and her husband lived on the second floor. And it was a Monday, Monday or Tuesday night, I remember. He, he says, have you seen the Tully? The Tully was the evening telegraph, which was the evening paper that came out. You probably have them in all over the country yeah. sort of thing, you know? And he said, look at that. And he, and he threw the paper down. And I said, what am I looking at? And he says, Dundee youth tragically killed in an accident. Mm -hmm. And I went, he says, like, see, read it. He says, it's Ronnie. And I says, fuck off, can't be Ronnie sort of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Ronnie says, fuck, Ronnie was only, he just turned his fucking life. Like, oh, it's not fucking Ronnie sort of thing, mm -hmm. you know? And the, the fact came out later down the line that he was walking around the corner in this factory. He was walking and he got his head with a forklift oh, truck goodness. sort of thing you know yeah. and it just threw me I just became yeah. I didn't understand I, I didn't people often ask you about God and stuff like that and I said why would God do that to somebody who just changed their life making a good go of their life being an asset to what they were living in their own community then all of a sudden that and it's gone sort of thing and I, and I just couldn't understand it. I just couldn't sort of fathom, work it out, 
So what I did, I, I stopped going out. I stopped, and I started going. I, I started going back to church, looking for something. And I, the first place I went was back to my local church, St Clement's, which was only around the corner. And it was still the same old shit, all the from an organ music and stuff. And I said, I fucking can't be doing with this. Sort of so I went searching, looking. I went to loads of different churches, loads of different religions, loads of different gatherings and everything else. And it was all the same. And I sort of said, I can't, I can't fucking cope with this. And so we were going to the Celtic match one day and I'm sitting next to Joe Shearer. Joe Shearer works for St Vincent de Paul, which was a charitable organisation within churches and the Catholic church sort of thing, you know. And he, he said to me, he says, have you ever been up to, to St Peter and Paul's, the Augustinians? And I said, no, no. And I said, you ought to come up there. They're all off their fucking head, he said. Priests. <laughs> he was talking about the priest. He says, they're all off their fucking nut, he says, but they're a great bunch of guys. So I went up there one Sunday just to see, because we were going, the Celtic Supporters Club was down the road. Mm -hmm. And we were, I was meeting the guys down there, a few beers sort of thing, you know. So I said, I'll go to 11 o'clock mass and sort of, yeah, that'll be it sort of thing, you know. So 11 o'clock mass comes in and they're reading the church notices at the end. I'm getting out the back door. And there's this guy standing there in a black habit covered in sort of crap and stuff and everything else. Baldy-headed guy, little guy with glasses. And he says, who are you? And I looked, I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he says, I'm Brother Peter, nice to meet you. Never seen you here before. I said, no, I said, first time here. I says, uh, Joe Shearer. He said, oh, you know Joe? I says, yeah. He said, uh, he says, come and have a cup of coffee. I said, I beg your pardon? He says, come and have a cup of coffee. I said, no, I don't want a cup of coffee. I said, I'm going to go and meet the mate. The mate, the mate. He said, I'll only be a quick cup of coffee. Come on, go into the house. So my first day in August in the church, I'm... In the, sitting in the priory where they have all the dinners and everything with a cup of coffee with this guy that I just met. And I'm sort of t talking away and I was fascinated by him. So half an hour later, I said, look, I've got to go. And I'm just about to go out the door. Then the prior comes in, a guy called Seamus O'Hearn. Lovely man, still working to this day, but down and outs in the poorest parts of Dublin City sort of thing, you know. He says, who's this? And he says, oh, this is George. And I said, well, how are you doing, George? Sort of thing. You're you staying for dinner? I said, no, no, no. Oh, you've got to stay for dinner. So just sit your ass down. So what was it? Was that, so my first day in August in the church, I've had coffee, I've had dinner. Time I got out of there, it was half past two. The pubs were shut. So I never got a pint or nothing never sort of thing, you know? Man. And it was a different experience because there wasn't any of this sort of old-fashioned stuff. There was guitars. There was violins, there was flutes, there was a vibrant, there was a wow. vibrancy okay. about the faith, sort of. So, so I played a bit of guitar, not much, played it very badly, not got much better, to be fair. And I joined that group and I started doing that, started doing them things and got talking to Peter. Peter was, God rest him, he was... Good bloke, yeah? Yeah, he was but, top bloke, sort of thing, you know. But George, mm. go, you can't... It, it, lots of people go to church, not many join up to become a monk. No. It's a bit of a, a leap, isn't yeah. it? it was a bit, I was working for Scottish and Newcastle breweries at the time. I had my own okay. little house flat sort of thing. Good job. You like sort of thing. Uh, how you know? old were you about this time, George? I, I was about 22. Okay. 22. Mm. Young man. Yeah, still a young man. Yeah. Still got the whole life in front of me exactly. sort of thing, you know. Mm. And then what was... Uh, got talking to Peter. Peter Quinn was... Well, a one-off. He was... He was doing things in the late 70s, early 80s, like taking soups and flask of sandwiches to people who were sleeping underneath the road, the railway wow. bridge in Dundee sort of thing. And I used to go out with him every now and again to see what he was doing and sort of thing, you know what I mean? Amazing. And it was, it was just, I, 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 he's doing so. I had a, I had a good salary. I, 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 was, I wasn't sort of poor or anything. I, I was doing okay for a young bloke at that mm. age sort of thing, you know? But there was just something about his way of life sort of thing you know he had his dark this, he had his dark times as well he was an alcoholic and sometimes you'd never seen him for weeks on end because he would have a binge and he wouldn't come out of his room and stuff and everything else but when he was with it he was doing things he was so far ahead wow. of his time What you, you see these soup kitchens now in London and yeah. Glasgow and all these big cities he was doing this but you, you joined up then. You, did, did you have to go through a, a training? Did you have to go... Well, I had nothing. I, t I said to you earlier, I left school at 14, 15 mm -hmm. with nothing. Absolutely nothing. I had a Dundee Secondary School certificate. No equivalent GCSEs. Like my CSE art, isn't it? Yeah, so, nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's clever, he is. He's got <laughs> so, stuff. 
I, went, I talked to Peter about it. Then Peter put, I, I talked to Seamus about it. That was the guy who mm-hmm. invited me to stay for dinner. And he says, he says, well, this is what you need to do. And I met lots of different people from the uh, novitiate and stuff and everything else. And he says, well, in order for you to go to university, you need to have the equivalent hires, which would be equivalent to A-levels here, sort of thing, you know? So they sent me to this place in the wilds of Stirlingshire. A funny story before that, to be fair, was what was I told my mother that I was thinking of becoming a monk. <laughs> my mother my mother at that time thought I was the best bet for grandchildren, to be fair, sort of thing, you know? I <laughs> sat out the window. So what it? was it? And oh, I was working well. in a pub. I was working in a pub. And mm-hmm. after, and she worked in the hospital. So every time I went down to my mum's house for dinner on the Sunday, there'd be a girl sitting there from the hospital. Oh. She'd be a nice... Oh, she's a nice girl. You know what? Like, she's a lovely girl, sort of thing, you know? And what my was mum it? had done that. Yeah, sort of thing, you know? My mum never did that. And, I, and, I, and I, she said, oh, I don't want you to do this. And it went on for a while. And then there was one day, what was it? She left a checkbook on the table. She said, just please don't go, just stay, sort of thing, you know? And I said, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to do it, sort of thing, you know? And uh, a little adage to that story is, but after after they'd been in the monastery for seven and a half, eight years, when they decided to come out, she wanted me to stay because she had all the grandchildren she wanted by that time. That's a lovely <laughs> story, isn't it? One of my bugbears is that the church has so much money mm. and the poor have got nothing. How can you yeah. justify that? I take your point, Bill, but everybody has loads of money. There's big <laughs> companies have money. There's water companies have loads of money that are paying their CEOs millions and millions of pounds, sort of thing, you know? But that, that was one of the things people often say to me, why did you leave? Why did you sort of... Mm. So, so you left, you decided to knock it on the head? Yeah. Well, there was several events leading up to the reason why I left. One of it, I began to see the hypocrisy of organised religions, sort of thing, you know. And an example about it was I was working in Hoxton, Shoreditch, in London. I was My job was, as a monk, to prepare the altar boys for services over Christmas and stuff. And one of the nicer parts of the job was that you took selection boxes out to the poor and stuff and everything else. So there was one Christmas, I only did one Christmas at Hoxton, and I went to this family who were living in a, one of these big high-rise death traps, flats, call them what you like, and I walked mm-hmm. into the house, and there's mum, dad and four kids <coughs> living in a two-bedroom flat sort of thing. You know, three of, the, three of the kids were altar boys, the other one was the youngest, he wasn't sort of... So I took I took him a selection box. Anyway, and so we were sitting there, and 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 these people had nothing. But anytime you went into, and it, it was synonymous with lots of the houses that you went into. People who had nothing, they gave you everything. They give you so much sort of thing. You you came out there feeling that you'd done something good. Mm. And the little boy came up and says, "Thank you, thank you, Uncle, thank you, Brother George, for the the selection wow. box." Mm-hmm. Thank you. And he says, can I tell you a secret? And I said, of course you could tell me a secret. I could keep secrets. I'm a monk. I could keep secrets. <laughs> and he says, you're having a whole chicken. I says, what? A whole chicken. A whole chicken for Christmas dinner. And I says, you're not. So <laughs> and he says, yeah, don't tell mum. <laughs> so I walked out there feeling incredibly humble. Mm. And uh, that Christmas day in Hoxton, we sat down to uh, a five wine glass setting. Somebody came in and cooked that meal. Somebody set the table. Somebody served it. Somebody cleaned it away. We sat as a monk. This is in the monastery. This, this, this is in the monastery on Christmas after Christmas Day, and we sat down in the evening, turned the phones off. So if anybody wanted the priest that night, they were tough fucking luck sort of thing, you know. And then what was it? It was just. So and, you and, you had this massive meal, and these people. And at I was home thinking about what having a chicken. I saw. There used to be a thing, I don't know, it probably still goes on in the Catholic Church, Christmas offerings, where you're given an envelope two or three weeks before Christmas mm-hmm. comes and you're asked to put a donation in for the priest sort of thing, you know, and people do it all the time. And some people like doing it, some people can afford to do it, some people can't, so some people who can't still do it. So, so we were coming on Boxing Day, Stephen's Day, the 26th, we're down in the basement of the church and there's a table the size, the size of a tennis court full of these envelopes mm-hmm. with people who had been given one. And call it kismet, call it what you like. A load of them fell on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I picked them out and picked them all up, sort of thing. Put them all down, sort of thing, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. So what was it? Uh, and 
one or two of the envelopes at the time. I looked, I said, it was this family that I'd been to, because I knew the name. And I looked at this envelope, and I said, my God. So I opened this envelope, and we're talking, we're talking about 80, probably about 85, 86, 87, mm -hmm. about that time. There's a £10 note in this envelope. Now, this family haven't spent £10 on their own, like Christmas dinner, sort mm -hmm. of thing, you know. Now, £10 nowadays, people say that's nothing. But in 1986, 87, that Seriously. was a load yeah. of money. Yeah. That, that had done a weekly shop yeah. in some yeah, places, absolutely. sort of thing, you know. And so I never put the £10 in. There was a big pot. I, I never put it. I took it to the prior. I don't want to name the prior because... No, of course not. And I took it to the prior and I says... That, this family can't afford that. He says, who, who, who made you? Who, who made you? I, I said, well, I was in the house. I says, they have nothing, Father Pryor. I says, they were having the whole chicken for dinner. Who told you they were having the whole chicken? I said, well, a little, a little boys have got vivid imaginations. I says, no, he was telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And I says, I, I just don't think we should be taking £10 off mm -hmm. them. And it, then he went into this diatribe about well, how, we, how they serve the community, how we meet their spiritual needs and everything. It was a lot of bollocks, really, sort of thing, you know. Yeah. It was a lot of bollocks, and I said, I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, I, I said, I, I gave him the ten, and I said, well, you do. It. I said, I'm not putting. It. I said, I can't. I said, my conscience wouldn't let me do it. So that was it. it went. I went back to Hammersmith, and that after Easter, I had a sort of review of my year. Uh, I was coming up towards the, the option of I didn't want. I didn't want to become sacramental. I didn't want to be good hearing confessions and saying mass. And stuff. I wanted. To, I was quite happy doing my pastoral stuff, but you could still be a deacon and do that sort of thing, you know. Mm. So I was coming up towards diaconate, as they call it, sort of thing, you know. And I was, yeah, you got to set the seniors. It's like something at like a Monty Python, to be fair. There, there was a curved table with a load of monks with black habits on, mm. all sitting around the table. And my, myself and John Reed, John Reed's a very, very good friend of mine, still a priest to this day, and such a lovely, lovely guy. And so we're standing there and we, they go through everything that I've done, my university, my stuff at Milltown College and stuff and everything else. And then just as the finished, the, prior, uh, the provincial says, what was it, there's only one sm small blemish on your thing when you questioned the authority of the prior. And I, and I was struggling to think about it. He says, Christmas? I says, oh, yeah, a hawks. And I says, that family had nothing. I says, I, I was just making the point sort of thing. He says, he says he says, when you took your vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience to, to God, he says, you take them to the Augustine in order. And I says, I'm aware of that. Father Provincial says, well, the vow of obedience applies to the prior. If the prior says, and I, I says, but this family had nothing. And John Reed is, is pulling the back of my habit. And I'm feeling getting choked. <laughs> and he says, he says, say nothing, George, don't say anything. I said, well, I'm telling I says, that was, he said, well, we'll leave it at that for now, sort of thing, you know. So then you have to bow, mm. and you're walking out the door. And I was walking out the door, and John Reed was saying, just walk, just, just. I, I said, John, I can't. Mm. I said, I can't. I says, that, 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 that's not right. So I turned and went back and bowed before the table, and Father Provincial says, you've got something else to say, Brother George? I said, yes, I have, Father Provincial. I says, you quite rightly tell, talk about my vows of chastity, poverty. And, and obedience sort of thing, you know. I says, but we, I, I says, we, take, we, we all took a vow, of poverty. He says, he says, what's your point? Hmm. And I says, well, we live like kings. I says, we have three hot meals a day. We don't have to worry where we're, we're going to lay our head at night. We don't have to worry about feeding the family. We don't have to worry about this. I says, and this family in Hoxton and Shoreditch had nothing. Hmm. And I says, I was speaking up on their behalf. I says, now if that's wrong. I said, that's fine. I said, I accept whatever sort of thing was going to mm -hmm. bowed and walked out the door. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of the end. So, George, with the religion, I hope you don't mind me asking about religion. Not at okay? all, no. Because it's like everyone's got their own personal beliefs. Mm -hmm. And... What I can't understand is that you can say, oh, God's bought us this lovely rainbow or God's bought us this amazing sunset. But you can't say God's bought us cancer or God's bought us mm. disease. Mm. And that really gets to me because, mm. you know, and I don't know if 
mm-hmm. uh, root nose, but I, I became a Catholic. Yeah. And I had to do, I had to, I actually went through religious instruction okay. and really enjoyed it and loved the history of it. Mm. And the priest was brilliant. And I, ha- I had my own reasons for becoming a Catholic. And um, so I went to the church and loved it. And I needed a sponsor to become a Catholic. <laughs> so Georgie over there yeah. became my sponsor. Thing is, right, I'm at the... At the Still in... haven't been paid for that, to be fair. So we're, sit, we're at the chapel in the, in the, in the Catholic, Catholic church, yeah, yeah. right? Him taking the piss out of me, saying it's a gay wedding. Right? <laughs> Brilliant. So funny. It went... Oh, was funny. George, it yeah. was so funny. But the thing is, right, all the old footy duddies behind... Yeah. Like they yeah. were just miserable yeah. to sit, and they all sat in their own places, and they wouldn't sit next to the West Indian couple because there was oh, a big was gap funny. around them, yeah. and you wasn't allowed to sit near the choir, yeah. and you wasn't allowed to sit near the organ, and it was oh, it was horrendous, sort of thing. Mm. It was horrendous, yeah. wasn't it? But thank you, George, yeah, for doing that. My first dissertation was on holy virginity and its place in the modern world. Now, you try writing three and a half fucking thousand words about that, to be fair, sort of thing, you know? I said, it's, it's, it's a nonsense. It's a story. It's it's something that... Do you think that? I mean, I believe that. It's it's a parable. It's a story. It's a... It's just something, a yeah. good way to live your life. Yeah. You, Ruth, yeah, you Absolutely. You that, I, I always think that about really... I mean, it's interesting, because I, I come from a Hindu background... And so, you know, it's, it's the same sort of thing because um, we, you know, we're born into it. Yeah. And one of the questions I was going to ask you, you know... Is this a... What, well, yeah, what Root wants... What, what Root really wants to know, yeah. Three Roots wants to know. Yeah, so if you were born, say, George and Bill, I could ask you both this, like, say, in Iran, and you were born Muslims, would... Would you have thought different? I mean, you know, is it the same God? Because, you know, we are born where we're born. Or mm. in your case, George, mm. you actually went and found, yeah. you happened to mm. meet people, didn't you? And, and and it was quite by accident. I, quite I found myself yeah. back in a Catholic faith. It was quite, I, I, I had no plans. That, that was totally by... So, so it could have been any religion, It could actually. have been anything, yeah. Yeah, so that's well, an interesting one. So three groups wants to know. Yeah, what I really want to know, Bill, is if um, if Jesus turned up to the Vatican or to your monastery, yeah. would you recognise him today mm. as Jesus? His report would be his report on the religion today or the Catholic Church. We could do better. Yeah, but would be could do better. Could do it's a, a lot great question, better. Though, <laughs> could do a lot better, sort of thing. Yeah. But what was it? It, it, it takes a lot of stick. Religion and, and all forms and shapes and forms. It takes a lot of stick. Uh, and what was it? Synonymous in every big business and stuff and everything else. But what was it? The church should and isn't above that sort of thing. You know what was yeah. it? It's not. Uh, for me, I, 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 I'm asked that. Hundreds of times about yeah. what was it what about this what about what, what you were saying about the cancer and the rainbows yeah. and stuff and everything else. There's no definitive answer to it, sort of thing. You know, I I question it so much, sort of thing. You know, I I I don't go to church now. I, I find my oh, own no, peace. I never do that. I, I find my own peace in uh, sort of walking. I can go anywhere and find God. God, I believe that. Of most people that do more good in their life than bad, mm. that if there's anything on the other side, nobody's going to judge you poorly on it. Sort of. And that's a question that that's where the faith, that's where the nugget of faith comes, doesn't it? Because you, that I understand that there are people, and probably in every religion, need the sort of prayer times and the temple times yeah. and the church times. And, so, and there's other people who just go about their lives trying to do the best they can for their fellow neighbors and stuff. And that's what I think. That, that, that's the basis of my faith now. I don't need organised religion to tell me. I don't need to go to Mass every Sunday. I don't need to go to Mass. I could sit in any church, sit in any park, sit in any place and find God and people sort of thing. It's, it's an interesting one. Goodness. What you said about your dissertation I thought was quite interesting yeah. because I remember growing up and it was, you know, I, I suppose in, in uh, I went to a Methodist type of place, uh, Sunday school. My mm-hmm. parents, when, when I was in England, when we moved, 
to England, my, my parents said, you know, God's God. Mm. doesn't matter how you learn. Mm. And they got me to join, like, the Sunday school mm. and then to, to church. And But I just found all of the scriptures, mm. they're all in small print, mm. and the font is really small. Mm. As a kid growing up, mm. you're like, you don't want to read all that. Mm. You know, the same with the it's Hindu like terms and conditions. Yeah, yeah. almost terms like of, yeah. yeah, and it's like it's like in, in the Hindu scriptures. There's a lot of it. Yeah, so you have got to have priests that say words that you don't mm. understand. Yeah, they do it in Sanskrit in the Catholic Church. It's in Latin, so mm. these are things that you don't understand as a kid, and so it was like big barriers were put yeah, up. Yeah, as a kid, and um, I do remember though. One day I went to Avebury in um, in Wiltshire with the standing circles there, mm-hmm. and they were having this druids sort of procession and the goddesses yeah. and all that and it looked great because it was outside mm. and there was a little church just if you ever go to Avebury there's a little church there and then to me that looked really dark mm. and foreboding and I thought god if I was god mm. I'd be up there yeah with absolutely. those guys <laughs> why would I be in the church you know like if as a young person yeah. you would think there's a lot of things that was, would put you off and yeah. you think of how many yeah. wars are caused by religion I know yeah, it's no. just bonkers yeah. isn't it yeah there's another question I really wanted to know. The um, you had spent a bit of time at the Vatican. Yeah, I really want to know a couple of things. Are UFOs real? No, that's a different. That's a different episode. No, but no Vatican UFOs. U- UFOs like mm-hmm. aliens and no, stuff. What I really want to know, George, is you spent a bit of time at the Vatican. Yeah, um, so at the canteen. When you're getting your pizza and your spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti hoops, and the red wine, and all of that, did you ever, by any per chance, sidle up? In a, were you in the queue next to the Pope at all? No, he always ate separately. He never oh. kicked me around. Oh. So he's seen him sort of thing, you know. Oh, that's a shame. Used to, a shame. used to meet with a few cardinals, a few scarlet people, sort of thing. Okay. You know? <laughs> this is a good time to say every um, podcast we have somebody to ring in. Uh, a question, and we've had somebody called um, Louise. Oh, Louise! Somebody, yeah. uh, Louise, calling. We don't know who she is, do no, we? No, no, she uh, she was just ringing quite a lot. And uh, but her question is: um, Is there a special part of the church that deals with exorcisms? Well, it's funny you should say that, Bill, because but there is the, a film that's just come out quite recently, which is parts of it are historically correct, and it's called The Pope's Exorcist. And they, they, oh. there is there is such a thing within the Catholic Church wow. that did go around exercising sp- evil spirits and everything. This one was set in the 14th, 15th, 16th century in Italy, and it's all on Google. If you Google the Pope's Exorcist, uh, mm. the guy who was in Gladiator, Russell Crowe, he, Crow. he plays the Pope's Exorcist in this, and he's wow. sent to this small village in the hills of Italy or Spain to exercise these things because there's been some weird goings on. And, and parts of the thing are actually historically correct. So there is a branch within there the is. Catholic Church that does deal specifically wow. with exorcisms and evil spirits. Uh, yes. And would this same place deal with poltergeist or will that be like a next door? Well, that, would be the, that, 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 that would come, to the, uh, come under the same auspices. As same corridor as the UFO. Yeah. 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 The same auspices sort of thing, you know, as, as that sort of thing, you know. But... I, I, do, they wear, so, do they wear sunglasses? Like, uh, like like the men in black? They must have done. They must, must have, have worn them, sort of thing. Did you have, have to do a vow of silence yeah. ever? Well, they, 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 they used to steal something from the Jesuits called the, Igna- the Ignatian. Ignatius of Loyola was the, the main Jesuit, and he had this uh, 30 days silence. Well, you 30 days? 30 days. Make a crap podcast, that word, wouldn't it? We, we did one. I did. <laughs> I did. I did one. I, I did one. One day. One day. No, no, I did one thirty day one. You before, didn't. Yeah, I did. That's a long time. Thirty days, George. I, 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 the only time you spoke was you, you were allowed. To, you, you spoke with a mentor once a week, and at every meal there would be readings, not just spiritual readings. There'd be readings from books and stuff and everything else. So that would be, uh, but the funniest thing about it, after that, this thirty-day retreat that we did, we'd gone to mass at half six in the morning to, to finish the retreat, and we were all sitting in the priory in the kitchen having breakfast, and the radio was on, and people were talking about storming Norman and everything mm. else, 
and we hadn't a clue what we'd gone because we'd missed oh, the first uh, Gulf War because it only lasted eight days. We, oh we God, missed, we missed, missed the whole war. Missed the whole, we didn't even know Amazing. it was happening. Well, that's a good thing. We didn't even know it was happening, to be fair, sort of thing, you know. Uh, and what was it, as, as an aside to that, what was it after that, you, you were allowed a, a weekend of sort of freedom sort of thing, you know. So you're allowed to have a video or something, you know. And that, 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 there was, there was, video, allowed, George? One video a month you were what, what sort of video did they get, well, George? there's only so many times they you could... behave. There's only, one, there's only so many times you could watch the song of Bernadette, to be fair. Yeah. And the sound of music. There's only yeah. so many times you could watch it. So myself mm-hmm. and Martin Carroll, who was uh, another student priest with me sort of thing, you know, he said, the novice master's away this weekend. And he was the guy, he was the... Right. Yeah. He's gone back to Mayo to see his family. He's got a family going. So me and you're going to get the video. So we used to go drive. We we drove down to this little video shop, sort of thing, you know. And what was it? It was ever so funny because it was the Temple Logan, and then there was the uh, video shop, mm-hmm. and then there was an Undertaker's, <laughs> and then the bookmakers. Excellent. And the bookmakers was called Dead Cert, and it was right next to the Undertaker's. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we goes in here. And what was it? And the woman knew us. She mm-hmm. knew we were student priests. She knew we were student priests. Mm-hmm. Sort of you know what she said. So Martin goes right over to the adult section, <laughs> and she comes running out from behind the counter. You don't want anything over there. You don't want anything <laughs> over there. Sort of thing. Martin says, "No, it's be fine." Sort of thing, you know. So what was it? He picks up, and uh, it was a, quite a raunchy film, right? Of its time called Nine and a Half Weeks. That was very raunchy with film. Mickey O'Rourke you know and, that and Kim yeah. Basinger. Yeah. So we, we in the we, lift. We goes back. I thought you were scared of lifts. I don't like lifts, but I'd have gone in the lift. With <laughs> sorry, sorry, George. <laughs> sorry, we, go, we goes back to the we goes we goes back to the monastery and what was it? Novice masters away. Yeah. So we're all we're all sitting there in our habit. We, evening you prayer. The half weeks in the evening monastery. evening prayer is over, and yeah. you've got to remember what was it? We are about twelve young fellows. Yeah. And the common room was not too big, but the yeah. size of this room, and there was twelve, and there was some comfy seats, and there was not so comfy seats. Yeah. So after that evening prayer. It was like something out of chariots of fire. All these monks running up this corridor <laughs> with the habits flowing in the wind, sort of thing, to get a good seat for this film. And we had this lovely guy, Michael. I won't tell you his second name. And he said, "What's this film about tonight?" And I said, "Martin Carroll goes." He says, "Well, he's uh, an up-and-coming Irish actor and a beautiful young girl." And he says, "He says you'll love it," sort of thing, you know. You didn't so, tell him. No, we didn't. <laughs> so oh, we were sitting. We were sitting. And the, uh, uh, the film uh, in the first five ten minutes of the film what was it she's got all her kit off and they're going hammering tongs in the lift sort of thing and we had some Polish students with us as well at the time and sort of thing you know and Michael's going this is disgusting turn it off this is disgusting turn it off and maybe just kept watching it sort of thing just like that <laughs> and so what was it got halfway through it and I got to another really raunchy scene and Michael got up to turn the video off. He said, I'm not watching any more of this. So this is disgusting. This is depraved and everything else. And he went to turn it off and one of the Polish guys turned around and says, you turn that off, I'll cut your balls off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> brilliant. So we watched the film to the end and then we're all just sitting there and that film and the titles came up sort of thing, you know, and... So we all disappeared from the common room. Ten minutes later, everybody, apart from Mike, goes back in that common room, fast forward to the, the good bits. <laughs> <laughs> Have another look. You couldn't get a washing machine the next day for love, none of Cutting that bit out. <laughs> you couldn't get a washing machine the next day for love, none of money. Sort of thing, you know. There was no starch needed anywhere, to be fair. Oh. We'd nearly end it, but do you, you met Lady Diana? I met Lady God Diana, bless her. yeah. When I get my MBE from Prince William, I'm going to say I sat in the same bed as your mother. <laughs> yes. Which was true, because I met, I met, she came and opened Glebe House when I worked in Glebe House in 1988-89. And she was, everything everybody says about her is what she was. Lovely. She was stuck in a helicopter over Kidlington Airfield because of fog. And the first person she came in to see was a couple that I looked after. And she came waltzing into the room, flopped on the bed kicked her shoes and says, my feet are killing me, sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And and I and I just looked at her and Tom and Jeannie Marsland, they were sort of the only married couple in the residential home. And we were, we saw it, and I, I gave her some coffee and some biscuits. She says, you haven't, so I, have, I said, I'll have some, oh, I'll have some coffee now. And I had some coffee. So I'm standing trying to drink this coffee. She's no sit here. And she yeah. moved up the bed and I sat on the same bed with her and drank my oh. cup of coffee with her. She was a wonderful lady. Yeah. Absolutely And wonderful. you have met the Pope, haven't you? Well, I, I, I've stood about 
10, 12 yards from him, I think serving must to be Which fair. one? John Paul II, the Polish guy. He's a good one. Yeah, he was, he was sort of. He was in this Georgian um, thingy, isn't it? George Paul, George and Ringo. John Paul, George and Ringo. <laughs> That's what, I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I've just totally upset a lot of Catholic people. I'm so sorry, everyone. No, I don't. Come on. So, <laughs> oh. they, it was, they were good times. What yeah. was it? Uh, and I went from there to working with kids with well, yeah. and, um, disabilities, you, sort of thing. You know what? I had the best 30, I worked 34, 35 years with. Yeah. Oxford and Street you're County. a legend in that community and you raised so much money. And that's how I started meeting you because you was doing loads for charity, doing a lot of gigging those yeah, days. Yeah. Yeah. And you brought one chap along, and I won't mention his name, but he is... God, you get me going in a minute. We, we used to get him up in, in, the, in the pub. pub the six in the bells. Pub, and the crowd would go wild. Amazing. And it makes them very yeah. emotional. He would, have felt, he would have felt great, wouldn't he? Yeah. He loved it. He loved it. But, you, mm. uh, I mean, you didn't leave in the nicest circumstances because no. you were there... To support, yeah, and the, the, the residents. There, there was you? managers. There was, I, I, like any big company, I suppose. They, they hate to think that anything's wrong at the top. We get but, but one of <laughs> best friend was a guy called <laughs> Hugh Gears. Right. Big, <laughs> big, big Down Syndrome guy. One of the nicest guys you yeah. ever meet. So every day he used to come in to work, come into the day centre, and I could tell, I could write a book and tell stories about them all night. To be Lovely. fair, and he came in one day and what was it? And it was coming up towards Christmas, and he goes to me, he says. Uh, Christmas present. He's got this package like this. Christmas present. And happy Christmas. Don't open till Christmas. It's a surprise. I says, okay, Adam, thanks very much. I says, what has he meant? Golf balls. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> but, but I opened the present on Christmas Day. It was four pots of marmalade. <laughs> His granny got the fucking golf balls. <laughs> oh, 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 George, you just, uh, I just, I know in your community you are well loved. Well I can blessed. see why. I can see why. Well blessed, yeah. aren't you? And, and you do a lot for the community. Community loves you as well. And I know you're a modest man and we won't talk about how much, but your golf societies raise a lot of money. Yeah, we have. A, a what serious was amount of money. Yeah, yeah, what was it? Over the years we've sort of furnished three sensory therapy, sensory therapy rooms which is wow. which costs an awful lot of money yeah, to be fair with sort of bulb tubes and lights and sort of tactile things and stuff and everything so we've done two or three of them in yeah. that time and you make sure the money goes to the right people absolutely Christmas the, the, the pantomimes and stuff and everything else all the money the Christmas dinners pantomimes it's all paid for by this charity that's Friends of the Garth has, has been set up and we're blessed with the people who support it. We wouldn't do that. People keep on telling, like Bill will tell you, oh, Bill says, well, oh, you're sort of, well, I couldn't, it's not a one-horse show. I'm not a, it's not a one-trick pony. There's lots and lots of people yeah. involved with it and people who have continually sponsored sort of holes year after year after year sort of thing. It has just been... You've got this magic about you. You've got this, I mean, the, our podcast is about people who are passionate mm -hmm. and you're... A person who are passionate about helping people, and mm. and I know my mate Root is a lovely, lovely person. <laughs> you're a lovely person. I'm very grateful. And Bill, you're not so bad. Yeah, yourself, yeah, yeah. We'll cut that bit out. <laughs> but um, um, George, you was even kind about Louise's lasagna at the beginning. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was it? We had lasagna here a number of years ago. I seem to remember. And what was it? It was. Uh, I don't think James Martin would be recommending it to anybody, to be fair. <laughs> She's improved. Bloody nice today. It was lovely. George, thank you so much for coming no, on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's yeah. been great. It's been so there. nice meeting you, George. George. Thank you. Yeah. believe there's a god oh but excuse me bill excuse me george i've got to take this <laughs> oh hi, hello oh hi boo you oh, okay yeah yeah i'm all good thanks yeah what um what time are you coming home where are you it's so rude. It's well, I'm, a, oh, I'm, I'm i'm at bill's did i forget to tell i'm at bill's oh, hey, Chris. Oh. Oh, I thought you'd gone shopping. So you, what, are you doing another podcast? Yeah. You're doing another one? Oh, okay. Oh, is this the one um, 
with George, the monk. That's... Sorry, you're in the middle of it, aren't you? We Sorry. are. It's quite oh, spiritual. hello, George. Hello, George. Uh, okay, I'll let you get on with your podcast. What were you um, having, Chris? Sorry? What were you eating? Well, we're, having, we're having lasagna. It's all made. Oh, we have lasagna? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's all made. I thought it was coming up. Never mind. That's all right. I'll Chris, eat it myself. So was oh. it a special lasagna? Special occasion. Yeah, we were going to watch Mamma Mia on telly. And, oh, you know, we've got the candles no. out and everything. I love Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia 1 or 2? Uh, oh, 2, definitely. Two's oh. a good one. Oh, is yeah. it? Not seen yeah, yeah. 2? You missed out. I've missed yeah, out. Mamma Mia 2. I'm sorry. Really good, oh. Especially with lasagna. One last question. Yeah. Uh, have you fed the dog? Oh, no. Before you went, did you feed? Did you feed Bella? Have we got a dog? Yeah. No, I forgot. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, oh. Okay. Did you say you said her. God? I'll no feed dog. And Bella. Oh, dog. Okay. Okay. Get on. okay. Thanks, darling. I love you. I really do. Bye. Do Chris. you? Yeah. Love but, you too. Bye. bye. bye.